get our Bibles out this morning. We were out of control in first service. Let's see what happens in second service. We're in Mark chapter 2 today, preaching that series uh, on the miracles of Jesus. We're looking at a new miracle today, and it's the miracle where Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic. And uh, it should be a very familiar miracle to us. It's one that certainly captures the imagination of how things occur here. But uh, this miracle is in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. It occurs three times in the uh, Gospels. The Mark is the one who seems to give the most detail about miracles. And so we're going to use Mark as our main text today. Uh, I'm going to read Mark 2, 1 through 12. And uh, I'm going to jump in and cover the first five verses today. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the miracles of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you make them come alive to us and leap off the pages of Scripture so that we can experience the principles and the truth and all of the implications of what Jesus did as he walked the earth and he healed people. We thank you, Lord God, today that you are still our healer. You heal our minds, our emotions, our spirits. You heal our bodies. You're the God of miracles, Father. Allow us to believe in miracles today and to look to you for them. Expand our faith today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, so Mark 2, uh, verses 1 through, I'm going to read through probably 12. Let's see how it goes. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Speaking of Jesus here, it says in verse 2, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so that when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up immediately, picking up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What an amazing miracle, the lame walking. Yet routine for Jesus, just something that happens out of the outflow of his life. We see Mark kind of chronicling the events here. As we said, it also occurs in Matthew and Luke. Mark has the greatest detail. In verse 1, Mark lets us know that Jesus is kind of laying low in Capernaum. It says, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. So what is Jesus doing? He's having a little bit of rest here, because everywhere that Jesus went, there was crowds. And everywhere there were crowds, they wanted to get a hold of him. They wanted his attention. They wanted their needs met by him. 
Now, you, could you imagine the, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but the man part of him would wear out, amen? Anyone ever had people wear you out? Come on, any mothers with little children? Mothers with little children, depending on how many you have of them, you know what it's like to be thronged, like Jesus did, amen? They're, they're grabbing on you, they're pulling on you, they're calling for you, they're, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I did it. All the moms are like, Jesus is thronged by people. He withdraws himself. He kind of he goes and he slips into Capernaum. He gets into the house here, and, you know, he's laying low in the house. You know, what happens is it, it was heard that Jesus was in the house. And, you know, you can't hide long if you're Jesus because people will find you. So what happens when Jesus is in the house? Well, it says here that Pretty much people just start showing up. Why is that? Because people want to be where Jesus is. And this is the, the first point on principle I want you to grab out of verse 1. Wherever Jesus is, people are going to gather there because people want to be where Jesus is. Now, this is a great lesson for the contemporary church because the church thinks that we can get people to come to the house of God for other reasons other than the fact that Jesus is there. Now it's quiet. Well, let me tell you something. The reason people come to church and stay at church is not because of plush sanctuaries and stained glass windows. You know, they don't come because the seats are soft and the air condition is cold. They don't come just for the programs or the entertainment or the great music or, you know, the big screens and the smoke machines and the skinny jeans. That's not why people come to church, right? You see, there's these little worldly movements in the church where, you know, pastors that are well in their 50s are dressing like they're in their 20s and they think that's going to, they're, they're going to figure you out. And they get close enough to you, they see how much of you is stuffed in those skinny jeans. I told the ushers, if you ever see me show up like that, shoot me and drag me out back. They seemed eager to oblige. But it's not, about, it's not about these things. It's not, well, the seats are really soft here, or, you know, the air condition's crisp at that place. No, these are not the things. People might come for that, but they don't stay long for that. People are only going to come and stay if Jesus is in the house. Amen. It says that they discovered that Jesus was in the house. So the relevant question for every church becomes, is Jesus in the house? Is Jesus in the house at Full Gospel Center? Is the Spirit of God moving here? Is the worship alive? Is the preaching anointed? Is Jesus here? Amen. Well, I, was, I wasn't asking. I was just kind of rhetorical, but I appreciate the response. We've got to understand as a church that, you know, Jesus has to be in the house. You say, why? Because two things happen when Jesus is in the house. And we learn it in verse 2. Immediately, notice that about Mark. He's always saying immediately. He's got this sense of immediacy. Immediately, many gathered together so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, so not even standing room only. And then what happened? He preached the word to them. Two things happen when Jesus is in the house. Number one, the place fills up. I'll never forget as a young pastor, you know, I've, I've been saved since I'm 14. Uh, I went to, you know, Bible school, met my wife, came right back here, been serving. It's going to be 28 years full-time in ministry. And I'll never forget as a young pastor going to a church that had, you know, a couple thousand people. And one of, one of the pastors coming up to me saying to me, what you need is a hook. 
Basically, he was describing, you know, some way to get people to come, you know, whether it was donuts or coffee or whatever. You need a hook to get them in. And all the time that this guy's talking to me, I'm thinking, no, I don't need a hook. In fact, you know, my spirit was so grieved after talking to this guy, I wondered, you know, how that, what that church was full of and how it got full. Because people don't come for a hook. And if you hook people in when they figure out it was just smoke and mirrors, they don't stay. Any sustainable growth comes because Jesus is in the house. Look, Jesus shows up, they discover he's there. What do they do? They don't start a media campaign. They don't do a radio uh, talk. They don't, they don't put up a billboard. No, his presence attracts people to the place where it was so filled that there was no room in the house. Now, if we look out, we look at seats and there's empty spots. And, you know, Part of what we need to understand from that is that we have a world out there that's not really hungry and thirsty yet for the gospel, Pastor Mike. A lot of people self-satisfied, happy with their wealth, happy with their comfort. But we also need to look at ourselves and say, we need more Jesus in the house. We need more Jesus in the house, amen? Because Jesus is what fills seats. It's not that, you know, we got to get the worship team lessons or we got to get the pastor, you know, some more joke books. No, we need Jesus in the house, amen? You're way too serious out there this morning. More of Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus shows up, the place fills up. This is another great reminder to the church that it's not us who build the church. It's not the pastor who builds the church. It's not the people who build the church. Jesus builds the church, amen? Jesus builds the church, Matthew 16, 18. You know, in case you don't believe me, because some of you are just looking at me, no, we need, you know, we need programs, we need better preaching, we need, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 8, in Matthew 16, 18, I say to you, and you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Amen? So Jesus will build the church. You don't seem impressed. Did you think, you know, did you think we needed a hook? Did you think we needed better this and better that? We need more Jesus. Now, it's easy to get programs. It's easy to get personalities. It's easy to preach sermon series. But to really have the presence of God fill the place, that calls for some heart changes in all of us from top down. We need Jesus. Jesus shows up, the place fills up. Jesus, he'll build the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his church. It's his bride. It's his work. We do our part with the right heart, and God multiplies. You see throughout Scripture in the early church, Peter would preach a little sermon. Man, if you deconstructed that sermon from a theological, a hermeneutical perspective, it was not a great sermon. Yet 3,000 people are saved in one pop. What's that? That's Jesus building his church. So when Jesus shows up, the place fills up. Peter said something interesting in Acts 3, verse 6 through 7. There was a man who was crippled and begging, much like this man we see in this miracle here. He said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and lifted him up and immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength. Interesting what Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we need less material comforts. We need less technology. We need less 
plush this and plush that and staff this and staff that. And really what we need is less silver and gold and more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll tell you what. You say, well, those are miracles. Yeah, and miracles build the church. And where do miracles come from? People who are desperate and hungry for intimacy with Christ, amen? When you and I are desperate and hungry, we put a demand on heaven and God shows up. God doesn't show up for lethargy. God doesn't show up when we're self-satisfied, when we're complacent. I remember speaking to a person who had been raised a Christian but was not going to church, was not growing in their faith, was not raising their kids to, to be Christians, and, and, and talking to them and saying, you know, what about your relationship with God? Well, I'm happy the way it is. And I could just see, you know, the dormancy there and the decline and thinking, how easy is it for us to just become complacent and satisfied? Well, I'm happy with the way it is. I know some theology and I know some scriptures and I know all the Bible stories, but is your relationship with Jesus alive and growing? When Jesus anoints the church to do what the church is supposed to do, then the church will grow and fill to capacity. Someone say amen. So Jesus fills the place up. It's his job. Number two, when Jesus is in the house, ministry takes place. Look what he does. It says he preaches the word to them. He, you know, he doesn't just have conversations with them. He doesn't just drink coffee with them. He doesn't just, you know, talk about the weather with them. He ministers to them, amen? Aren't you thankful that when Jesus is here, ministry takes place? Because that's the ministry that changes us from the inside out. I'm not the preacher that you need to hear from today. And if you're sitting out there thinking, well, is it Pastor Mike's turn to preach? No, Pastor Mike is not the preacher you need to hear from today. Well, Pastor Rick, is it time for a special guest? Should we bring in a special guest? Yeah, we'll bring in some special guests, but that's not the person you need to hear from either. We need to hear from Jesus. What needs to come from this pulpit is from the Father heart of God. It's through the heart of Jesus to minister to us, amen? You say, well, how? You know, Jesus is done. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's building mansions for us. He's doing all this stuff. How do we get Jesus to preach? By allowing the Holy Spirit to move, amen, in this place, by being hungry and thirsty for a move of God. I'm encouraging each of you to pray this week in the secret place. When you do your devotional time, pray that God would move at full gospel center, that the Holy Spirit would move at full gospel center, that Jesus would be in the house. I love it. Jesus is trying to hide. He didn't, he didn't try to get a crowd together. He's not trying to organize a tent meeting. No, he's just kind of trying to lay low. People find out he's there. The place is packed to the gills, and then he begins to minister to them. He begins to speak the word of life to them. Why? Because that's what happens when Jesus is in the house. Verse 3, things begin to ramp up. It says, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So Jesus is there. He's packed the place out. He begins to minister, and then what happens? People who have needs seek him out. See, part of the filling of the seats here are there people out there who have needs that they don't know that the church is the answer to their need yet. And we've got to let them know, hey, you know what? Jesus is in the house and he meets needs here. 
He unravels that ball of knots you made your life into. He heals broken hearts. He sets captives free. He releases people from addiction. He rebuilds shattered lives, amen. He restores broken marriages. <laughs> when the people find out that that's what Jesus does and, and he's here, they show up. These guys come to him and they're bringing this paralyzed man and they carry him. Now, what I want you to see here in verse three is that the people gathered with an expectation that Jesus would do miracles. And that's why, that's why they were really seeking him out. They didn't necessarily want to hear theology or uh, preaching of the kingdom. They didn't understand a lot of these things. That these things weren't fulfilled yet. On the other side of the cross, they were going to make more sense. But the people gathered with an expectation. And that's what I want you to grab here. That's why they packed the place out, because they expected something. And what was it? That Jesus would do miracles. Because everywhere he went, he did miracles. Now, our generation doesn't have this same level of expectation anymore. We see a religious institution or a religious gathering, and people think, well, you know, they just do their thing. They just, you know, do what's on the agenda. You know, we got a little agenda here. There's an order of services. And, you know, last service, I crumpled it up and said, we're going off, we're going off the reservation here. We'll see if this survives second service. Let's see, Pastor Mike. But, you know, we have this agenda, and we have, you know, this format, and, and all of a sudden things become routine, and that kills expectation. You and I need to come with expectation, amen? Our generation has very little expectation. We certainly don't come to church with the same expectation that the people in this crowd that thronged Jesus in that place where he was kind of hiding out, they had a lot more expectation than we do. You say, well, why is that? Maybe it's because, you know, our churches have become a little bit repetitive and religious. Maybe it's because we've become predictable in our worship and restrictive in the move of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people are horrified when the Holy Spirit begins to move. They're completely uncomfortable. They don't want to go off script. You've been raised in a denomination where it told you, you know, God's in a box. We keep him in the box. He stays in the box. If he gets out of the box, we throw him out. God don't do this and he don't do that and he don't heal and he don't do that. And then there's no miracles and stay in order and be quiet and don't make a sniffle in church. That's not the way I was raised, watching the Holy Spirit move, go off script and do things that, you know, were above and beyond our expectations. We've got to bring expectation to the house of God. These guys, you know, th that generation had it, and, and they had this level of expectation. You know, a group of farmers came together to pray for rain because their crops were dying, and they hadn't had rain in a long time. So they got together. They were godly men, and they were going to pray to the God of heaven for rain. Out of all the people who showed up, only one showed up with faith and expectancy. A little boy showed up, and he had an umbrella. You see, if we're praying for rain, well, then I'm going to expect rain. And if it's going to rain, I want an umbrella. Amen? <laughs> Expectancy. A Christian teacher had a class of mentally impaired teenagers, and he taught his students to look at their capabilities and not their limitations. That's what we need to do as a church. We need to look at our capabilities, not our limitations. Well, we don't have this, and we don't have this, and we don't, but we have Jesus, and he's in the house, and he's more than enough. 
So here's this teacher, and he has these students, and he's teaching them. Soon he's got them all playing chess and refinishing furniture and repairing all kinds of broken electrical appliances. And the, the most important thing he taught his students was to expect that they would succeed at whatever they did. A young boy named Bobby proved that he learned this lesson well. The day he walked into class with a broken toaster under one arm and a loaf of bread under the other. You see, did you show up today with your umbrella? Did you show up today with your loaf of bread? What did you expect today? Did you expect a routine? Did you expect to have your, your intellect stimulated or your emotions stirred a little bit and leave the way you came? Or did you expect to do Jesus to do miracles in your life and in your heart? Amen? You're going to get what you expect for. You're going to get what you believe for. It's faith that provokes God to do these things. And without a sense of expectancy, we are just going through the motions. So what are you expecting today? You're going to get what you believe for. I encourage you to expand your faith, to expand your level of expectancy, to believe God, to meet your need, to believe that you're not going to leave here the way you came, but you're going to leave changed by the power of God. Amen? We used to sing a song when we went way back when, I don't know if Kelly's still here or whatnot. We used to sing this song, you won't leave here the way you came in Jesus' name. Remember? You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick or lame. Because the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' Man, we're having a hoedown. We're just having a good time. Look like the frozen chosen out there. We used to sing that old gospel, man, and, and have faith to believe it, amen? Man, dude, when I was a young man in this place, th this church looked like a scene from the Blues Brothers. It was wild. You know, we've, got, we've gotten a little bit reserved. We've gotten a little bit, but we need to knock up that level of expectation, amen? I'm believing you're not going to leave here like you came. If you're bound, you're going to be free. If you're in chains, you're going to be delivered. If you're sick, you're going to be healed, amen? I believe that. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. And all the people who were told that God can't and won't and don't are getting nervous. Oh, we're getting nervous. It's not going to get weird, but Jesus is in the house. So these four guys, they carry this guy in. Now understand something. You don't throw your friend on a stretcher and carry him on your shoulders if you thought, you know, well, Jesus was just going to give him some kind of happy, clappy word of encouragement. Oh, Jesus will cheer him up. No, you don't carry your friend on your shoulders and, and drag him through a crowd because, you know, you thought he was going to get some self-help, you know, look on the bright side of being crippled drivel or that Jesus was going to give him a little spiritual pep talk. You know, that's what a lot of our ministry, uh, that's what a lot of what passes for ministry happens in the church today. Just a little self-help stuff, just a little pep talk, just a little, you know, a little, you know, you could do a little better. Now I'm offending everybody. Well, they came and they carried him because they expected Jesus to heal him. Not for any of these other things. And, and there's our level of expectations. What do we expect? I, I don't need another pep talk. I don't need another look on the bright side. I don't need another happy, clappy, generic word of encouragement. I need the presence of God to touch my life and make a change. Let me just point out how blessed this guy was to have four friends like this. 
I mean, these are good friends here. These are friends that are loyal, that are willing to serve him. They're willing to inconvenience themselves to see his needs met. Now, these, these type of friends are more rare than diamond. They're more precious than gold or silver. I mean, they are priceless. And if you have friends like that, you need to let them know you appreciate them and celebrate them and, and cherish them. Amen. Anybody have friends? Seen pictures, read stories. Anybody? I know we're all in our little gated communities hiding from each other, but, you know, people used to talk to one another and, you know, make friendships and anybody. No. These four friends are awesome. My grandfather used to say, if you, if you can count your friends on one hand in life, you're doing good. A good friend, a loyal friend, a friend that's willing to inconvenience. I mean, think about it. They're carrying him around on their shoulders. I'm going to be 52 next week. I don't even want to carry myself around. These guys get them, and they're carrying them, and we're going to look and see, you know, what they do here. But they're good friends, and they're the type of friends that, you know, we should celebrate and pray that God would bring into our lives. Now, all of us want friends like that. And in a lifetime, if we, if we get a few, we're blessed. But you know what? It pleases the Lord when we are friends like that. You know, sometimes, well, I would love friends like that. Well, are you a friend like that? Are you loyal? Are you faithful? Do you inconvenience yourself for others? <clears throat> Come on, all of us have had friends that were just, you know, they were one-way friends. You know, if you were doing what they were doing or you were helping them, it was great. But when you needed them or you were hurting, man, they were nowhere to be found. Come on. That's most people, amen? These guys weren't like that. And you know what? We all want friends like that, and, and, and we need to be a friend like that. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across, across the country on horseback. Think about that. He's the president of the United States. There's no Air Force One. There's no Marine One. There's no, no, he's on a horse traveling, and he's out there, and He's traveling, and they get to a river that had flooded its banks through all recent downpours and floods. The river is swollen, and they have to, the bridge is blown out, and they have to cross this thing on horseback. There was a very real chance of death for each person who forded that river. There was a stranger standing there who was not part of Jefferson's group, and he watched as the first few men plunged in and fought the current and, and fought their way to the other bank. When he had seen that a few made it, he asked the president if the president would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed up on the horse, and shortly after, the two of them made it to the other side. As the man slipped out of the saddle, another man said to him, why is it that you chose to ask the president for help? And the man looked shocked and said, I had no idea that he was the president of the United States. It's just that some faces had a no look, and his face had a yes look. Let your face have a yes look. If you want friends, show yourself friendly. I know some of you are going to have to practice in the mirror by the, what I'm looking at right now. But you need <laughs> practice, right? You should see what I see. I need a camera. I need to just scan every once in a while. You're killing me up here. Smile, amen. Let your face know you're saved, right? Let your face know you're saved, that you love Jesus. And people are going to see that on you, amen? If you... If you if you know somebody who really loves Jesus, when they walk into a room, they light it up. Look, if there's black clouds following you, you need some prayer time, okay? If you have the spirit of grumpiness upon you, and all, get, get, get your face saved. The president had a, had a yes look on his face. Why? He showed himself to be friendly. What did he do? 
Putting that guy in the saddle risked both of their lives. A horse can only fight so much current. He lowered the probability of his own survival for a stranger. That's integrity. That's the type of friend that Jesus wants us to be to others. These guys were loyal, willing to serve, willing to inconvenience themselves. We pray for those type of friends, and we should be that type of friend. Verse 4 is just an incredible display of faith in action. I want you to know something about faith. Faith is not about theory. Faith is not about, you know, uh, well, I have this theory that if you do, no, faith is about action. It's not passive. Faith doesn't just, you know, say, you know, this is what could happen if you, no, faith is action. It's jumping in. It's getting into the river. It's, it's risking life and limb. Why? For the things of the kingdom of God. Faith is not passive. It's active. So if all we have is theoretical faith and all we have is passive faith, it's not the kind of faith that impresses God. It's not the kind of faith that attracts the miracles of God. I remember one of my spiritual mentors was ministering to one of the young men who wanted to plant a church and all the elders in that certain place were talking it down and saying it couldn't work and there was no way to do it. And this guy looked at them and guy, he said, you guys are big on theory, but you're short on faith. Come on, when an elder talks to you like that and puts you in your spiritual place, it'll sober you up right quick. We don't need more theories about faith. We don't need more, you know, stories about faith. We, we don't need allegories. No, we need people who are willing to exercise their faith, to have an expectation level, to allow themselves to jump out into the river and to put it all on the line. These guys showed such a beautiful display of faith and action and, and look what it says here in verse 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they packed up and went home and said, we gave it a try. Is that what it says? No, no, because you know, for some people, any old excuse will do, right? But not for these guys. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, say broken, uh-oh, now we got trouble. When they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So what did they do? There's a crowd. There was, you know, a roof to be climbed. There's all these obstacles, and they pushed through. Their faith was a faith that was not passive. It was active. Look at all the action here. You know, pushing through a crowd by yourself is hard enough. Any ever, anybody ever been in a crowd that, I mean, it was so tight that maybe you're walking out of Yankee Stadium when it lets out or something or through Manhattan Street or something, and you're just pushing? You know, think about just getting yourself through the crowd sometimes. There's people right now from Wisconsin who are trapped on a side road in Manhattan that'll never get out. They're just waiting for their turn. NYPD's going to find a, a car full of skeletons someday. They're never going to get out. A crowd's a serious thing, amen? These guys not only had to push themselves through a crowd, they're carrying a dude on, uh, there's four of them on a stretcher. The crowd could have easily discouraged a lot of people and gave them an excuse to quit, but not these guys. They push through the crowd. Now they drag that stretcher with that guy on it up a roof. That, that can't be easy. I don't know how tall the building was. I, I'm not sure. You know, we don't have pictures. I wish I had a picture Bible, but I don't. 
they pull him up on the roof. It had to take effort. It could have been another obstacle that would have served as an excuse. Then they pull the roof apart. Now, now they're really getting wild here, man. Now they're a little out of control here. That's got to be a misdemeanor, even back in Jesus' day. You just trespassed. You're on somebody's roof. Now you're destroying their property. They bust a hole in the roof. Jesus is down there preaching. Clump of, a clump of dirt falls, a couple sticks. Now the people are looking, they're not listening to Jesus. All of a sudden, a hole, then they're thinking, what's going on here? And here comes a guy down the hole. The kingdom of God is not boring. Come on. Come on. There's action. It's exciting, amen. They're thinking, what's going on here? What's Jesus going to do? Jesus knew what was happening. He, he wasn't like, what's happening here? He knew he's been waiting for them. He's like, you guys took a little bit, a little time here, but let him down. I got a miracle to do. So these guys, you know, their faith in action, they're, they're, they're not sitting back waiting for it to happen. No, they, they push through the crowd. They climb on the roof. They bust through. Their faith was tenacious, and it was tenacious in two ways. It smashed every obstacle, and it was willing to take risks. Don't let obstacles serve as an excuse to your faith. The obstacle is there not so you'll abandon your faith so that you'll increase it. Amen? When there's an obstacle, when David saw Goliath, he should have said, well, I guess I'll just go home. My brothers will be dead soon. I guess I'll just go. No, he looked at him and faith rose up in, in him. Amen? When we see mountains and obstacles and giants, don't let them be the thing that make us quit on the promises of God. Let it be the thing that builds your faith. These guys were tenacious. They had many chances to turn back, but they smashed through the obstacles. They were tenacious in the fact that they were willing to take risks. You know, the first guy that grabbed a handful of the roof was taking a risk. You know, he's breaking up this guy's house now. You, know, you never know what's going to happen at this point. But they were just not going to take no for an answer. That's the kind of faith they had. You and I need to be willing to take risks for our faith. Now, look, I'm not telling you to commit felonies here. Don't call me. Don't make me your one phone call from jail, okay? What I'm telling you is that sometimes we got to risk some things. Well, it's a risk to put ourselves out there. We might look stupid. People might make fun of us. We might get thrown out of our little group, or we might not be part of, you know, that, that group at work anymore. Whatever the risk is, be willing to take it to establish your faith. I love verse 4. Just a beautiful display of faith in action. Let's stop talking about faith. Let's stop rehearsing the faith of the past. Oh, you know, in the Old Testament, no. Let's have some now faith. Let's have some faith for our generation. Let's have some faith that Jesus can do something in our generation, amen? Verse five is the last verse I'm gonna cover today. It shows Jesus exercising his spiritual authority. Now, people were, were blown away here because of the way Jesus handles the situation. You know, here's this guy bust through the roof. Verse 5, he's laying at Jesus' feet. When Jesus saw their faith, so the first thing he acknowledges and sees is their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. This is where it goes off the rails for the religious people. Because now Jesus says something, and his statement is provocative, and it's explosive. Because you know what? Unless you're God, you don't forgive sins. He knew that, and they knew that, and he's just really, at this point, he, he's going right after them. Notice how Jesus first responds to their visible faith, and then he ministers to the unseen need. 
The visible thing was that these guys had faith to do all that they did to get this guy in front of Jesus. So he acknowledges it. Why? Because it, 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 is, it is exciting to him. It's motivating to him. Amen. Jesus walked the earth, and what he was looking for was faith in people. And every time he found it, he healed them. He set them free. He revealed, themselves, he revealed himself to them. Every time there was faith there, he responded. So he sees the hole. He sees the guy come down. He sees the look on everybody's faith, face, and he says, you know what? I'm going to acknowledge your faith. What an awesome thing you guys just did. That was the thing that was visible. But then he ministers to the unseen need first. Nobody who saw the guy come through the roof thought that, well, this guy needs, this guy needs to be forgiven. They thought, he's crippled. He needs to be healed. But Jesus saw right through that. And he saw the primary need. He saw the root need was not that this guy couldn't walk and needed to be healed. He saw the root need was that he needed to be forgiven and right relationship with God again. You see that? We are all concerned on the outward need. We're all concerned on the material thing, on the physical thing. Oh, God, heal my body. What good is a, a healed body if our spirit is broken, if we're lost inside, if we're not right with God and we're not headed to heaven when we die? You know, God can heal the sick and feed the hungry and, and take care of the poor and all those things, but the biggest miracle, and it's the one we need to celebrate the most, is when he takes someone who's lost and makes them found. When he takes someone who's in the dark and brings them into the light. When he takes a sinner and turns them into a saint. That's the greatest miracle. I, you know, we focus on the, oh, did you hear, you know, somebody's, you know, their body got healed or they got delivered to cancer. Praise God. But I'm most excited when sinners come to the altar and are translated and saved into the kingdom of God. Amen. That's what excites me. You say, Pastor, you don't want to see the other stuff? Absolutely, because it's a sign to those who don't believe, and it'll, it'll bring them to the place where Jesus is. Amen. But for me, nothing encourages my faith like people getting saved. So Jesus, he looks at the visible uh, thing and he, he acknowledges it. Oh, you guys, it's beautiful faith. He acknowledges their faith. And then he ministers to the unseen need. And here's why he does that. Because Jesus is always interested at what, it, at what is at the root of our problem. You see, if he doesn't deal with the root, and, and all we do is pick leaves off, well, you know, I do this and I do that, and I'm, I'm a little bit grouchy, you know, and then we're picking leaves off. When we get to the root and we lay the ax at the root, as the scripture says, then we cut off everything that's causing the leaves to grow. You see, God is most interested in dealing with our root problems because he knows once he solves the root, if, if he does that, then the problem never grows back. I've seen trees, I, I spend time in the woods cutting trees, I, I heat my house with trees. I've cut trees down to just a stump and, and come back next year and there's all kinds of saplings shooting off of them. Why? Because the root's still connected. The thing's trying to grow back. It's a, you know, a 30-inch oak and, and here it's starting over again. I'm saying, you're still trying to win? What do I got to do with you? Understand something. If the root of your issue is not solved, the problem will grow back. Why is it that we struggle with something and we say, oh, God, help me, forgive me, please, I'll never do that again, only to take another lap around the mountain and come back to exact same spot doing the exact same thing? I'll tell you why, because the root has not been dealt with. 
God is most excited about dealing with the root. That's why Jesus goes after it first. There are times where he just fed the sick and he healed people that were ungrateful. And he, he does that just because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But a really loving thing for him to do is to deal with our roots. If the root is not dealt with, the problem will grow back. I've heard people all my ministry, I keep getting fired from jobs. I keep ruining relationships. I keep creating legal trouble for myself. I, I experience drama in every area of my life. So Jesus, what I need you to do for me is straighten out my boss and straighten out my spouse and straighten out that judge and, and fix the whole world that's wrong and against me. You ever met people like that? You ever been like that? It's everybody but me. No, you know what I found out? It's me. It's me, and I just attract crazy people because of me. There's no shortage of crazy people there. If you got a weakness, you're going to attract them. There's times I'm going down, where do these people come from? I'm attracting them. So you and I have to let God deal with our roots. The root problems are our attitudes, our laziness, our pride, our rebellion, our selfishness. These are roots that God wants to deal with. Jesus saw the root. This guy needs forgiveness. Son, your sins are forgiven you. This is about to stir up a whole hornet's nest in the text as we continue, God willing, next week. But for right now, I want to stop right here, and I want us to bow our heads, and I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to show us the roots of our issues. Let's just take a moment in his presence. I don't want to go around the mountain again. I don't want to struggle with the same thing over and over. I, I don't want to, you know, walk straight only to be distracted and go off on a tangent. Lord, deal with the roots in my life. Reveal them to us today. Give us ears to hear truth. You speak to our hearts. I want to encourage you there today, as the Holy Spirit's showing you things, get somebody to pray with you and ask God to deliver you. Whatever the root is, unforgiveness, rebellion, laziness, pride, all of us struggle with all of those things. God, humble us and show us where we're stuck. We invite you to lay the axe at the root of our problem so that the problem doesn't just grow back. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity here today that if you've never accepted Jesus and invited him to be the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You say, why do I need to do that? The Bible tells us that the only way to be saved is to be born again. And that if we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus raised and believe in our heart that the Lord Jesus was risen from the dead, we would be saved. See, God made it so simple. Just confess that you're a sinner. Receive Jesus as Savior. And he'll do the heavy lifting because he's done it already on the cross. Jesus didn't die on the cross for himself. He died for sinners like us. The moment we acknowledge that and receive him as personal Lord and Savior, our lives change.
gives us a clean slate, a fresh start. We start out forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to live a different life. You might be out there saying, I've tried everything I know to change. I've tried everything I know to live a different life, and I'm stuck. God is waiting for you to call out to Jesus. He is the one who will get you out of being stuck and let you translate you from being lost to being found. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start, you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, just slip up your hand today. How many people want to do that today? Ushers have something to give to you. If you want to do that today, don't miss that opportunity. All saved people coming to church. Father, I just pray today, Lord God, that you'd fill this place as I've been praying with people who need you, who are lost, who are outside these four walls. I pray for some maybe that are sitting here today and just don't understand uh, where they're at spiritually. Father, I pray that you would soften hearts and draw us to you, that we'd find a place of repentance and a new start. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise today.